mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Putting in Work, episode 40. We've got a great one for you today. But first of all, I will thank the review of the week from Grim188 in iTunes. It says, Putting in Work is a great podcast and John Peck is really engaging. I will recommend PIW to all my friends. Thank you very much. And thank you to everyone that tuned into our Extra Live charity stream with the Explosion Network on the weekend. We raised about $1,500 AU, which is fantastic. Smashed our goal and really proud of our effort with that 24 hours of video games and shenanigans. Great fun. Uh, head over to twitch.tv slash Explosion Network if you want to check any of that out. As for putting in work, this week, another episode from PAX. I had the honor of sitting down with Gatesy from Tripod. Stephen Gates, for people who aren't familiar with Tripod, they're basically a musical comedy trio. They've been around since 1997. They're from Melbourne, and you'd most likely know them from either the comedy festival circuit, they've played at every comedy festival worth mentioning, but also appearances uh, as regulars on the Channel 10 sketch show Skit House. They also were a big part of the Triple J morning show when I was growing up. So if you're my age, you probably have very fond memories of their song in an hour challenges where they'd get about an hour to write a song on any random topic, usually parodying anything happening in the news at the time. Hilarious stuff. I'm a big fan of these guys, as you can probably tell. I was fortunate enough to interview them about five years ago as a trio at the Port Ferry Folk Festival, but this was a great opportunity to sit down with Gatesy and just talk about the band from start to finish with no limits on the discussion. We were able to cover pretty much their whole career arc of Tripod, how he got into music, how he got into comedy, how they worked as a band, and how they've been able to find success for so long in such a you know up-and-down industry that is the entertainment world in Australia. The reason Gatesy was at PAX is because Tripod are definitely three nerds. I'm sure they wouldn't mind me saying that. They've had a bit to do with the convention over the years. They've been performed there a while ago. They wrote some music for the Assassin's Creed Syndicate soundtrack. They've done a whole show based on uh, their love of video games. It's called This Gaming Life. And they performed that with the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra and the Journey slash Assassin's Creed Syndicate composer Austin Wintry. Have a look at that on YouTube. It's a great laugh and a really good time. So without further ado, here is Gatesy. Thank you again to PAX for the media access. Enjoy the show. What are the other guys up to? They didn't get the invite? No, they're on holidays. They're they're um, enjoying the huge amount of money that we that we seem to attain. They're spending your money. Spending my well, I f- no, it's their money. It just goes everything goes into a third. Actually, yeah. everything used to go into quarters, and we used to pay a, an imaginary fourth member, and that imaginary fourth member used to pay for things like flyers and posters and promotion. Sure, it was that's a great accounting tip for any groups of mm. humans. Make up an imaginary name? Uh, no, asshole. Yeah. Asshole was loaded at one point <laughs> because, um, yeah, we hadn't done a show in a while <laughs> or an album, but so it was a good way of doing it for a while. Yeah. So you're spending all your money; they weren't spending anything. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. No, this this asshole who accrued a lot of money over a small period of time. Yeah, we fleeced him dry. And he's no longer in the group. We kicked him out. We pay each other a wage now. He's like the, the fifth Beatle. Mm, mm, mm. That no one talks about. Yeah. So you are doing a panel today? Yes. Pitching games? Are you pitching a game? Are no. Are we pitching games to you? Well, a few years ago, Yug asked me. I, I've known Yug since he opened the Manor Bar here in Melbourne. Actually, before that in Brisbane. But... Um, yeah, he asked me whether or not I'd be uh, interested in doing a panel. The panel is uh, pitch your game idea, mm. 
and we, as for um, people with brains and heads and faces, we uh, judge them right. uh, purely on uh, merit. And um, I think Yug told me the other day it's good getting me in because I'm more of a, I'm a bit of a hanging judge. I thought it was a, a nice enough guy. I thought he was. I thought I was lovely, in fact. But um, maybe I just speak the truth and say the stuff that you know everyone wants to say. You know. Do you just say what's funny, regardless of? <laughs> no. You know, one of those. Oh, I, I no. I have a scattergun approach of uh, hoping that something that comes out of my mouth is funny. Yeah. But usually, you know, it's it's a hit and hope situation. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. worked out for you pretty well so far. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Lucky, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Lucky and fortunate to be in certain situations at certain times. Yeah. Perhaps. We'll get into that maybe. Hmm. So let's go backwards a little. Let's go rewind. <laughs> but no. They see that's lame. See, not everything works. Laugh. Not it everything works. Made me laugh. Um, mm. There'll be people listening laughing. I'm mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, young Gatesy, fifteen-year-old. Mm. I'm just making this up. Yeah. Tell, tell me if I'm wrong. No. Strumming acoustic guitar in his bedroom. Yep. Probably wants to be the next Daniel Johns, or maybe you're a bit older than that. I'm not Massively sure. older than yeah, that. Okay. Next, uh, Daniel Johns really <laughs> upset me. As a twenty-one-year-old, doing I think it was theatre restaurant work at the time yeah. and that frog stob stomp album came out of nowhere and when I was 15 years old I thought I have to reach a certain age because no one will take me seriously and so when Daniel Johns came out as a 15 year old rock star oh gee it shat me the 15 year old got really shitty and said well as if I mean as if I had the talent of a Daniel (laughs) Johns when I was 15 no I didn't but the idea that a, a young a young kid with chutzpah can um, so be, be the soundtrack yeah. of Triple J for four years. I mean, man. So was it was it Midnight Oil or something like that? You want Midnight Oil? They, yeah, they were a big they were a big influence. Yeah. I think only because uh, growing up, I had the fear of um, a nuclear holocaust constantly right. whirring away in the background of my head because I grew up in the late seventies, eighties. Um, Midnight Oil were big sort of uh, protesters advocates for social change mm. and and you know shutting down nuclear power plants and things because of the and I just remember that front cover of Red Sails in the Sunset it was Sydney but it was after a nuclear holocaust that stuff just resonated with me so I basically grew up scared thanks to Midnight Oil <laughs> thanks, thanks Midnight Oil thanks Garrett yeah thanks Garrett <laughs> Why don't you become a politician and, and make real... Ch- oh, actually, don't. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. So, were you interested in comedy at that same point? I think comedy, I was definitely as interested in that as I was in music. Mm. Because sort of at the time, our comedy rock stars were these, what they called at the time, alternative comedy. And that was uh, the young ones... Um, a lot of things coming out of Britain. Mm. We'd already out, sort of Monty Python was our parents' kind of yeah. vintage like, stuff. Blackadder, but then yeah, then the young ones and Degeneration and even um, Big Gig. It was sort of the late '80s, which was an ABC weekly show live, and that had uh, people like Doug Anthony All Stars and 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 that was that was something that my parents didn't get. So of course, as a 15 year old, I would just devour and. Um, in, in as far as the schoolyard was concerned, the the comedy stuff was the stuff that I think all the kids were into, and we'd all even watch something like the Comedy Company, which again was a weekly Sunday night show. On Monday, we'd all be talking about the sketches and stuff. So it was a real. I could see comedy being 
something that everyone yeah. was into. It was it like did. our Saturday Night Live. Yeah. In terms of talking points. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And even Hey Hey It's Saturday yeah. was one of those shows, you know? Okay. And when did it dawn on you that, hey, maybe music or comedy or both, as it turned out, would be a viable career option for you? Again, I was always raised with this this idea that the entertainments or the arts is is a pie-in-the-sky sort of thing. You know, I'd get that chat from the dad saying, you know, 98% of actors are all out of work. And, and on uh, drugs. Yeah, and on drugs. And dead. <laughs> They're probably, you probably did say that. Um, but for me, it was... I wasn't very good or I showed no appreciation for anything else. I hated sport. Uh, music was definitely a thing that was my identifier. I loved it. And... Were you good and, at it? Well, not, uh, not really. Not really. I, you know, I, and in the, I've talked about this quite a bit, but in the 80s, talent was very important. Mm. So, you know, if you wanted to play guitar, you had to be Eddie Van Halen good, you know, which tapping and monster metal madness sort of shit. But it was only sort of the 90s with, you know, back to Frog Stomp yeah. and Daniel Johnson, which were really just power chords, three chords, and, you know, yelling would get you through. And I loved that, the whole thing, that grunge was the answer to all this, you know, corporate kind of mm. over-the-top musical kind of playing. But it certainly was never... It was just something I always wanted to do. I identified myself with being a musician and, you know, I was the guitarist in school, you know. I think I even had a Mississippi string tie uh, week where I, where I tried to look like a southern kind of guitar player. <laughs> or Ralph Macchio from the movie Crossroads. One of the, yeah. one of the two. But Did you just end up looking like Colonel Sanders? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, was, I had no idea. No idea how to dress. And I went to a casual clothes school, That's which nice. was a nightmare. But it was only going to uni and going doing amateur theatre in the suburbs where I got the bug and I felt like I showed promise in that area. Yeah. And yeah, when you're doing uni, and but spending most of your time, you know, doing musicals and spending your time with theatrical people, it's very hard to shake, you know, very yeah. hard to shake. And how did uh, you uh, flick that switch in your brain that went from this is something that I can't make a career out of to maybe it, I could? Because I'm uh, sure that was ingrained, yeah, was ingrained in you and you're around all these people trying to do the same thing. Yeah, and you know, we were all... When any, when any one of our, you know, from the group of amateurs that we would call amateurs because we weren't pay, being paid, we weren't professional, but anyone who got their actor's equity card was seen as going to the next level where their career is about to go, you know. And we were all trying to work out how to get that acting job that will get us the, the, accredit, the accreditation to continue being an actor. Uh, in terms of, yeah, I got this, my first proper professional role in entertainment was for a theatre restaurant. I was Dracula at Dracula's Theatre Restaurant at the age of 21. And Were you good at that? Um, I don't know. I learnt a lot. Mm. I learnt heaps. Like it was Nailed five, the accent? Yeah. Five, well, I kind of sounded like some weird Russian taxi driver. <laughs> you know, greetings. Welcome to, you know, it's so... Uh, and, you know, just really kind of cheesy jokes and stuff. You know, Jono here has lost his virginity. So if you could just look under the tables and yeah. chairs, you might find it. What color was it, Jono? <laughs> you know, and like, just mad. But um, I got to be, you know, 
uh, one night a, a Japanese magician uh, removing a lady's head in some sort of magical kind of <laughs> illusion and then sing an Alice Cooper song and then play the guitar to Time Warp. Like, it's a bit of a dream come true job, yeah. really, in all kinds of capes and stuff. It's like a, a five-day-a-week Halloween party. But when I left that gig, my friends who I'd met in doing amateur theatre and stuff, Yon and Scott, their other singer had left to be, you know, to do Jesus Christ Superstar or some big show. Mm. And I took over from, from him to, you know, basically thinking that I'd just keep my singing up. Because the tripod gigs at that stage were just basically covers, but we'd sing for three hours. Like, Was it just pub cover band? Pub, that sort of stuff. 69 and... Yeah, well, no, no. We'd do some sort of weird comic vent or do it in a different style or, you know... It was still kind of a cabaret act or an ent- like just a, a weird amusement. But yeah, little did we know at that sort of time that when we entered the comedy festival in 1996, completely unknowing what would happen, we, weren't, we didn't really see ourselves as comedians, but certainly when we put ourselves in a comedy festival, the expectation was to be funny constantly. And we sort of, it was a really huge, steep learning curve to make a comedy show from that point and be be seen as these musical comedians or, you know, these, um, no no one was doing that at that point in time. The Dugs had had, um, uh, finished up a year or three before and there were three of us, we sang together well, they wanted us to be that, they wanted to fit in that hole. So... um, yeah, it took a few years of working out what that was. And was there any pushback in the sense of, oh, we don't want to be the, the, the you know, we want to be real musicians. Mm. We want to, like, be the next always. whatever. Always. Know? Yeah, well, see, the music was something we always... And, and even at the time, we had various, like, other groups that... I had a rock band around that yeah. time that I really... Side projects. Re- yeah. Always try to the side project. Well, side pro- uh, it, that... Tripod became uh, a full-time job a few years down the track. You know, our, all of our hard work paid off. When people say, do you have any, uh, any suggestions on how to get into the entertainment or the show business, uh, the only answer is just to do it, because that, that's what we did, blindly. Would, some would say arrogantly, <laughs> but I would say... Um, just stupidly, really. We had no, we had no idea what we were doing. So we were throwing everything at the wall, yeah. and some of it stuck. So what kind of songs were you doing? Because I know what your what your songs are like now. Where yes. you come up with a concept and you try and build mm-hmm. something around there. And there's an aspect of are you going to play a song as a song, or are you going to have a bit where you interrupt each other and yeah, 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 yeah. So what was it like at the start compared to now? Well, I think the. At the start, when we started writing our own songs, a lot of our songs at the beginning was comments on music at the time. And that was that. We, it came from this sort of, you know, uh, certainly from my perspective, this arrogant, isn't pop music shit angle. And that's... we so parody. We, well, kind of like, not, not necessarily parody, but um, like one of the first sort of big strides we took in terms of attention yeah. was this oasis mashup 
So you know, which was seen, the red the Hey Hey it's Saturday exactly, yeah. and we put that on the TV, and that's when uh, Andrew Denton called up the next on Monday. He'd seen it because everyone watched Hey Hey it's Saturday. Certainly, everyone tuned into Red Faces, yeah. which was basically Australia's Got Talent, you know, with a, a gong. Um, <laughs> but you know, we, we we went on that, and that was we sang three Oasis songs at once, and the whole joke was, oh, aren't they just so simple? And but then. Um, once you're getting uh, when you're getting through that taking the piss out of music and you're wanting to actually write songs about your own life or your own you know idiocy or just a you know a strange like Jon wrote a song called Is It Okay If I Stalk You which was a love song really but it was coming from that that perspective of um, a well-meaning stalker now that doesn't actually that doesn't actually occur in the English language, a well-meaning stalker, no, but... It's a funny idea. Yeah, it's just a fun idea. And singing, coming out of Jon's beautiful voice, like, it's, it's even funnier. But, uh, so we had a, a handful of songs that we took to Edinburgh, and all the rest of them were covers, or just silly versions of, you know, covers. Probably wearing our influences a little bit too close to the sleeve. Mm. This is still in the 90s, though. Right? This is still in the late 90s. And we had, you know, colourful outfits that we would insist on wearing. And, you know, we wanted to sort of be so different to what's come before. We actually we ended up being kind of a fabrication of ourselves. Like, we wouldn't swear. Mm. We, and uh, the, the comedy was pretty clean. Or, you know, like, it was butter, but it wouldn't melt, melt in your mouth sort of stuff. But if you're talking about stalking, well, that's the funny bit. But certainly, when it, when it came to, there was a real moment when we dropped the costumes. We just did, we just forgot to bring them. And we had to wear what we were wearing on the street. Yeah. And it was this, we felt free. Like, it was like, oh, the costumes aren't important to this whole thing. It's about what we're singing, about what we're doing. And so we stuck with that, probably rightly or wrongly, the street look for a yeah. while. And so we'd get up on stage looking like bums, really. <laughs> you know, uh, that's just the way we were. Yeah. And now look at you. And now, right? You wear tuxedos exactly. and stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you become middle age, Jono, yeah. you have to start looking after your appearance. Sure, sure. You can't just. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So you went in this direction where you started to, as I mentioned, do more bits and. Mm. There's a lot of dark comedy in there where things mm. would take a, t- a hard right turn. And yeah. Even doing sets of themes uh, like Dungeons and Dragons or whatever it is. So yeah. when did you start to get a bit more elaborate with those kinds of things and well, approach the songwriting in a different way? I think we were doing we were doing shows at a place called Prince Patrick Hotel, and every Thursday we do like run of six six Thursdays mm. residency um, every two or three months, and for that we needed to uh, get material. Uh, sorted pretty quickly and again we just threw everything we'd do sort of sketches and weird weird kind of performance art things and we'd shoot sketches on on a high 8 video and play them uh, just before the end of the first half and it's kind of like we wanted to also because we come from this theatre background we wanted to see what what if Tripod told a story uh, and told their own musical we came up with this idea what if we try to tell a, a pirate story that's very easy to tell, but it just takes 70 minutes to tell it? And so we could have a lot of, you know, stop-starty songs, arguments and all that stuff. No, I thought you meant that, but no, we, we're doing this. Sure. And so in 2002, I guess, we did our first sort of uh, musical. 
and I remember we remember getting letters from people who'd come they'd brought friends and they're used to us just standing in a line singing songs and taking the piss out of each other they were ropeable that we even went and tried something different wow. like a musical we recorded it and you know it was out on VHS yeah. and um, DVD but I think that was a big turning point in terms of what uh, our friends who started doing TV like Rove and mm. things they said well these three are more than just sort of singers mm. they can uh, tell jokes but they also can tell stories and they've got a whole dynamic of their own um, and he sort of put us in his sketch show that, Skid, that, House, right? Skid House yeah, yeah. they got um, they got a lot of well that was on a Sunday night that was I remember getting together with my buddies uh, on Sunday and just smashing some white wine and watching it and it was very exciting times it was really exciting times we're on the telly yeah and from that you know and before that of course we did sort of triple j and stuff but this was kind of a first glimpse of people seeing our stuff and um you know a high proportion of people mm. not just talking the, about not it. just the people that are into the absolutely com- yeah. yeah and and like now it's so hard to penetrate on, on a white on a large scale like that because yeah. i mean you know, fragmentation of podcasts. You yeah. know, people are tuning into different sort of things. No one's gathering around a, t- a TV set in the corner and, and yeah. watching no, TV like, shows. There's no global no. media. No, yeah. no, well, no. There's global media, but there's no shared experience. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Then yeah. you know, the last sort of shared experience in that on that level is going to a gig. Yeah. You know, where you're all locked in a room together. It's good. So at the point of trying to get out there more and do shows which I imagine you need to do to make money yes yes yes, uh, yes. are you more along the lines of like, I'm trying to think when you like when you're a band you know okay we gotta book a gigs in this certain way when you're a comedian I'm not even sure how you do it so yeah, yeah. are you are you just booked as if you're a band or are you booked yeah, as a comedian yeah that's or? what we that's, that's when we started mm. we started doing our own shows and doing our own residencies in you know there was a place in Yarraville called Yarraville Commercial Hotel I think it was cool. And they just had a front bar, a kitchen, a bar. You could, you know, choose to sit at the bar and drink. You could choose to, you know, sit in the main room and watch the act performing in the corner or get dinner and stuff. So we did, like, dinner and show kind of gigs there Mm. every Sunday. And we were a band. We did, you know, three sets and and stuff. So we, we, when we did our first comedy festival, we had a ready-made audience that would go in and... um, come to our show yeah. and trying anyone who's done a, a comedy festival would know how difficult it is to you know get an audience to come um, unless you're a name we were doing this these shows out in Turak and you know the director of the comedy festival came home, like what where are these people coming from that are going to see Tripod oh well we we'd done our own shows you know and they were they were as excited as we were to be part of a comedy festival so they came and supported us you know sure. and it was then we get booked for little comedy rooms and, you know, to, to close the festival club or something like that when we really had no idea yeah. at that time what we were doing. But luckily we were surrounded by, you know, our peers, our friends at the time, like your Peter Helliers and Will Anderson and Corinne Grant and all those late 90s, the robes, you know? Yeah. We all had the support network, and we'd all be, you know, there for each other at the end. And it was, it was community, a, absolutely. Yeah. And that's important. Like, 
you, the only way to, especially in Australia, if you uh, have the confidence to get out there and get on stage, you will meet people that have, that do the same. You're in you're in the sort of trenches together, so to speak, and it's it's priceless that that sort of that, those relationships, you know. Yeah. So I imagine it's it's through this process of all the hard work of booking gigs, like a you know toiling away like a musician and like yeah. a comedian, that you're able to do things you're doing now, which is coming at festivals. Yeah, you know, playing with a Melbourne Symphony Orchestra and, yeah. and getting asked to compose music for an Assassin's Creed game. Yeah, so yeah. So how does it feel to have known that you've walked this path and you've managed to get to a, a successful place and where you yeah. can call your own shots? That's how. Well. That's completely due to stubbornness and uh, lack of better options, um, but also 21 years of, of being together. Like, you, it's, it's so trite. And we used to make jokes, you know, it doesn't matter where we were playing, you know, we would joke, which, well, you never know who's in the audience, yeah. eh? In this, this bunch of bottom feeders yeah. out there, there might be a rove that might uh, want to put us in there. And although that... We say that with, um, you know, with tongue firmly planted in the cheek. People do go to gigs and people do talk and people do... Word of mouth is, is everything. Like, I remember... And being part of a group, that's... You can't quantify that either. Mm. Well, you can. There's three of us. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. But um, we were in it together and we were a team and we would print off a bunch of, you know, uh, posters... For telephone poles, A4 paper, you know, I think it was even before Office Works, but um, and you know, go straight down Punt Road in the middle of the night, you know, with the Mission Impossible theme, dun 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 dun, dun just to make it fun for ourselves, and run out of Yon's car, stick them up on the telephone poles, and go all the way from yeah. St Kilda to to sort of Collingwood, and. Know that those posters will be ripped down the following day, but we'd get the morning traffic, you know, sure. and that was that was all we cared about. That's exciting. It makes me it makes me quite oh wistful mm. when I think about you, it. You, uh, you paid your dues, yeah, man, yeah. But yeah. it's it's it's. I think now there's an emphasis on kind of social media and you know, Facebook, Instagram, and getting the followers and views, but that only translates to. You've still got to get people out of their houses yeah. and through the doors of a venue and, you know, make them see or buy your shit because, yeah, the world is sort of now conditioned to uh, happily accept free things, yeah. you know. Like podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the idea of that is, you know, if you've got something to sell off the back of that or you're asking people to come, you know, to a live podcast of Jono mm. Speaks... Jono, Jono speaks. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Jono speaks. Putting in work. Yeah. You know, that's 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 how it would hopefully you know translate. Sure. Or what is it? Mark Maron put out a book recently, and it's basically all of the choice bits of yeah. dialogue yeah. that he's had. Of you know, we've got Obama, um, Bruce Springsteen, all these people, and he's collated them. Yeah, the common themes. Yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of um, I don't know, a bit shady, <laughs> isn't it? Like he didn't say those words, but. He can put them in yeah. book form. Anyway, good on him. Hey, good Andrew, on him. Andrew Denton did it. Yeah. Yes, you're right. Yeah. So. And maybe putting in work. The yeah. book will yeah. come out. I have to rip off Mike Marin again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, what's it been like to be with the same two guys? Uh, oh. In terms of 
keeping a single vision because it's so hard I think for That's people to do that and to not go well actually I don't want to do this anymore or actually I want us to do this but the other two yeah. haven't got that same that's, idea well that's been the ongoing challenge with the three of us I mean totally understand why groups that uh, they come together with a, with a similar yeah. idea mm. um, but surely soon enough the cracks start to, to show yeah. they, they work out that they do, don't see eye to eye they fight they argue that happens all the time I've seen it it's not even that those people are, you know, bad people. They just no. have got the same idea. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, we've we've had real close shaves over the years. And, you know, they, they come... like the, the first six, seven years was really full on because we were so busy. We were putting so much work in. And that work was ne- not necessarily uh, translated into moolah. We just, we just did it because... I guess we didn't think that we had any other options. I don't know. But in terms of keeping that unit together, that's that's the hardest thing to do. Mm. And often, you know, we talk about you know having an idea and bringing it to the other two. And if it doesn't turn the other two on, then you've got to drop it. And you've got to walk away. Well, it's easy to say, but it's taken a long time to get the hang of. And the older you get, also the you um, you want to compromise less you've and you've got a, a firmer idea of what you want out of a thing mm. um, so that makes it even harder still when when you're putting something together but basically our policy is that if all three are on board with an idea then we don't do that idea and so it's not two versus one. No, no. I mean, it, all, it always is. That's that's democracy, and we and we work on that yeah. on that on that in that way. And often, you know, you'll you'll have a day where nothing goes your way, and you 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 get the tram home talking to yourself and looking like an idiot because you know <laughs> you God, I should have said that. I should have put it that way. I should have framed the joke this way because that would have been, you know. Um, but you have one go. You have one go in that, that room and one go only. Yeah. So you said that's the hardest part of, of that element. What would you say is the hardest part of your whole, I guess, getting to the point where you are now? Hardest? I think... I don't know. I'm always very surprised that we still have an audience. You know, there is... And, and I think we've done... What I'm proud of, that we've done all kinds of different things. We've been thrust upon very different kinds of stages, whether it's... 774 ABC radio or an ABC show like the side show for instance which was a late night cabaret show and then we've got Triple J or we do Triple M you know it's like we now have uh, an audience of sort of three generations that will come to the show that will come check out what we're interested in what we're doing next still I, I have to take it back to the hardest thing is keeping interested in that in that singular vision or you know we don't know we don't know what's next we haven't we haven't thought that far in advance we're doing separate things at the moment but it's going to take something incredibly compelling for us to like okay we've been asked to write a show for the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra what that's we've been wanting to do that for years like ever since we started an orchestra fucking okay what do we want to do well you know someone suggested a show about video games what well that's the one thing that the three of us have in common i mean this is a dream austin mintery is going to a holy shit 
So the ball got rolling on that, and that took an, a year to write. And we've only been able to do it four times because of the nature of, of organising an orchestra. You know? sure. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I'm. An, I know. I don't even know if I'm answering questions anymore. No, I'm just ranting. It's fine. I'm, it's fine. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's good. It's a therapeutic. For you. Yeah. Uh, okay. It is. Thanks, it's man. Turning into Mark Maron's podcast. Yeah. Can ask me about my father. Yeah. Oh god. When did the drinking start? Well, well, actually, it's still going. To be honest. <laughs> I usually ask people here for advice. What would be your advice to anyone, whether they just want to play music, comedy, whatever it is. Mm. Is it just do it? That well, seems to be it the seems to be the, the title of your podcast is exactly that. And it's boring. And I wish it was there was a quick fix or a 12-step program or something, but the, it is to do it. Yeah. Uh, no, an artist friend of mine who, 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 who never um, edits himself. Yeah. He just puts it out there. He just, like, throws it. And, and I said, but surely, you know, you've got, you've got sort of an editing process before you go oh no oh no just do it you just do it it's better better out than in sort of thing and even at my age I'm still discovering that that's a really good policy because I will I will cripple the whole process if I think about it too much if I want that the words on the paper to be perfect then they'll never come they'll never be written down it's just about doing it and certainly when you're young and you've got no self-critical element really you're just doing it because you think that's the way you do things. Mm. There's power with that. There's a heap of power yeah. with that kind of thinking. Mm. Yeah, I think it's like a balance between yeah, knowing true. when to own something into yeah, a better a product good. and knowing when to be satisfied. Yeah, exactly. Because you can, you know, I've written a book myself yeah. and yes. it's like you can just work on a sentence yeah. over yep. and over yep. and it's like, I've got to move on to the next sentence. It's Absolutely. Stage, you know? And, you know, you, you, you won't... We often we often try not to um, judge a piece too harshly until we put it on stage or put it in a room, because the audience will decide really. Mm. But then again, you might you might be really stubborn about a certain piece and you'll work it all kinds of different ways, and eventually it will be embraced or they'll get it or yeah. the, right, the right timing or situation. Well, it sounds like that's what happened with Tossman to the Pirate. You said yeah. people didn't like it, but you pursued it anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, people. some other people loved it. It was just a couple of, yeah, right. <laughs> a couple <laughs> of letters from people who want to, you know, they'll want to keep you, letters, yeah, they'll want to keep you stuck in the same way, you know, or they'll come to a, a, um, a show and want you to sing that that song that they like mm. when that's the wrong approach is to keep singing that song you've got to stop what's that you've what's got... the free bird for you guys <laughs> free bird oh what's, yeah the free what's bird. the like what's the song that everyone wants you to play well I think like the first one that comes to mind was that that Oasis, Oasis one, one sure. where that you know we would perform that at every spot and everything mm. in Edinburgh for two years running you know yeah. I think I downloaded that on Napster or something yeah right <laughs> nice one good one um <laughs> It had, the, it had even Andrew Denton's like introduction. And really, yeah, that's amazing. So I know it like word for word. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. that's good. Good morning, um, to you, tripod. Yes. <laughs> well, he he was quite enamoured. That was really fun. Experiment. Uh, but um, yeah, we, we we just made a decision at a certain point. I think it was like two thousand two thousand one. That we've got to stop performing this song, or we will always have to do it. And and sure, people have very short memories anyway. And the great thing about the comedy world is that the audience will appreciate new stuff. Mm. 
if it was just music and it was yeah. we had to do Freebird every night, yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's no good. Yeah, that's no good. Although we sometimes yeah. fantasise about that gig. I certainly do. Wow, American Pie. That's not a bad song. I would like to sing that every night. No. Well, you, you did play like uh, Paranoid Android. Yes. Uh, you know, Acapella. Yes. So I guess you have the freedom to do things yeah. like that. Sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Again, if we've got a if we've got a good kind of idea or a good angle on it, mm. you yeah. know, covers are very. I mean, certainly we can't. We started out doing covers, but um, I think the writing of the song is what we cherish the sure. most. Yeah. You know? Okay. So, Gatesy, my last question for you: If you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Anything and know that I wouldn't fail, what would I do? Jesus. I would definitely, I would, I would like to do stand-up comedy. (laughs) You're a stand-up comedian? (laughs) No, I'm not, no. I would never, I would never, exactly, without the guitar. That's, again, a very boring... Sounds like a very attainable thing for a comedian. Yeah, yeah. There's this thing that, um... That I that I am envious of, and that's people with a with a hobby, mm. or they love sport, or they love their footy team, or something. I don't have that. My you're, the passion that I, yeah the things that I love about me, I think that's it. <laughs> games are my that's my leisure activity. Yeah. But um, but then we started writing songs about them, so, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna ruin that, <laughs> you know. But um, no, I'd like I'd like an outlet that's nothing to do with the arts or or movies or. Video games, music, sure. something that you no know, hiking. People like hiking, don't they? It's the thing, yeah. Surfing, maybe yeah. that would be good. Yeah. But too, um, but no. To answer your question, I I value the, the a stand up, and if they're able to, with just with their voice, one microphone, engage and and make compelling entertainment. I think that's. That's something I'd never aspire to because I, I don't think I have what it takes. Too fearful. Too fearful. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do respect the stand-up. I really do. I mean, you're in that world, so I guess you've seen what it takes. And Yeah, absolutely. No, I admire it. I admire it greatly. And I've seen some stand-ups do exactly the same routine in just in another in a different room and it fails dismally. But then it, it, I'm, I love that that exchange kind of obsessed with that yeah and so we're at PAX so I have to ask you what have you been playing lately I have been playing I'm a I'm a two year old gamer mm-hmm. so uh, yeah I, I I get uh, video games for 24 bucks um, that's sort of my standard I've just finished Dishonored 2 which I really enjoyed I think I've, I've I started Witcher 3 you started it yeah that's exactly the, that's the end of your life if you if you stick with it well is. exactly and I always had I had this with Skyrim too yeah. put it in and go this game is going to be too big it's going to take too much of my time I will not play this and a, a year later boot it up again yeah that's 80 hours lost yeah. so I use video gaming as a kind of reward sure. so if I do 45 minutes of good work writing or whatever then I can reward myself yeah. With 15 minutes that sounds like a very adult, responsible way to approach games that most people yeah. don't have. Yeah, I just well, we know we know what a time sink they are, yeah. and I'm I I need to play games with an end. Yeah. So story-based games are really good for me. Um, but yeah, if I was to do World of Warcraft or any sort of time sink, no, nah, forget yeah. it. Yeah, any grindy game can't can't do it. 
Dying Light, the following, was fantastic. The story was a bit shit, but um, the the it's fun the parkour. It's yeah, the parkour was fantastic. Yeah. I just finished South Park, the new South Park game. Yes. I'd recommend those for you because they're not that long. The yeah, first great. One was twelve hours. This one's about twenty. But... I I stopped playing the what was it? The, the Ring stick of, of Truth. Stick of Truth. Yeah. And Yon, my um, yeah. uh, partner in crime, he um, he got stuck at the farting mini game. Oh, it is hard. It's he's, really hard. It's strangely hard, yeah. Yeah, and he got really upset because he was. He, we're all big South Park fans. And yeah, I, could, I don't think I'd be able to do it now. But Well, the new one doesn't have any of that, so it's, it's a lot easier. Yeah. In case you're thinking about it. I want to play, play some board games while I'm here. No, do it. There's a lot of those. You'll find some of my nerdy friends down there. I remember the first time I walked into the board game uh, room. Uh, I think it was at the showgrounds a few years ago. Maybe it was the first PAX. Right. And, and I kind of like had a little tear in my eye, to be honest. Your home. Just seeing, well, just seeing a whole room full of you know, nerds Your people. Yeah. geek out on games. Because these things wouldn't have existed when nah, you were No, no. Yeah. Doing any, any sort of geeky, nerdy quality was very much hidden or bashed out of you. <laughs> so um, I like the geek has inherited the earth. I love That's it. Great. It's good. That's a rule. Yeah, it's a good rule. Thanks for joining me today, Gatesy. Thanks, Jono. Put in the work, people. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening. That was Gatesy from Tripod. You can check them out on Twitter at Tripod Actual. The website is 3pod.com.au. As always, I'm on Twitter at Jono himself. And until next week, keep putting in work.